Well, before we, uh, before we scheduled Hurricane Ida, uh, the Lord was already awakening some things in a little series that we've been teaching through on Sunday mornings called Behind the Scenes of Difficult Times. And so we were, we were walking into those passages in Hebrews chapter 12 and surrounding neighborhood there uh, before Hurricane Ida showed up. Let me just put this message into a context that's bigger than Hurricane Ida because you know, there, there's, there's a reality that storms of life, that's a good phrase. Storms of life some, sometimes look like rain and wind and they do actual physical damage. They just distort your life and disrupt your life in very disorienting ways. But most of us know that, that can I just say the, the biggest storms of our life, they don't rain on you with physical rain. They, they come with a different impact on you. And I can remember after Hurricane Katrina, Years ago, I had an opportunity to go speak in some churches around the country, and, and folks saw the devastation that we faced as a city, and they were trying to come to grips with the scope of it. And so in some ways, they just felt like, oh my gosh, how have you guys survived this? This seems so. And, and I, I, I kind of came to realize, it's like, you've had your own Hurricane Katrina. You've had your own Hurricane Ida in your life. It wasn't wind and waves. Uh, it was when your husband died and you became a widow and you were alone now and you had to figure out how to navigate the future in a very different way. It was when that diagnosis came of something that was going to be a long-term battle in your body for years. It was when your child was born and your child came into this world with a particular unique needs that were going to alter the course of your life. And those things were going to stay with you for a much longer time than putting your life back together after a storm passed through your town. So what we're talking about here today, I don't want it to narrowly find its application point into a post-Hurricane Ida moment. Uh, there, is, there are behind-the-scenes dealings of God in these settings that are just difficult settings. And we're going to find some insights here today that are intentionally loaned to us by the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to a, a group like us who's navigating life in the first century with their own list of storms of life that have come. And life has become very difficult. And the Bible needs to show up in these categories. And it's going to, it's going to really educate us helpfully today. So we've, we've been walking around Hebrews 12. I'm going to begin today by reading Hebrews 12 verse 3. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, 
We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, it's interesting. This passage highlights something that, that maybe as a Christian, you're a little bit hesitant to, to own as the dashboard light that's on for you right now, right? Uh, this passage is concerned about growing weary and faint-hearted. It's concerned as it speaks to a Christian that that could be where your circumstances lead you. It's about growing in that. It's about, not about just arriving in a moment. It's about growing more and more weary and faint-hearted. And, and maybe you're one of those Christians who thinks that's below a Christian. If you're a real Christian following God and really trust in Jesus, those won't be your vocabulary words. Well, then you would have an interesting dinner time with the writer of the book of Hebrews because that writer is fully recognizing, no, not only might those be the words you choose to describe yourself, but painful as well. Painful rather than pleasant. Do you feel like you've, you've betrayed God if you use those words? God, my life right now feels painful rather than pleasant. Right, so if you're here this morning, you're in good company with the Bible, if that's what your life feels like, and you're in good company with others who should have the freedom in the body of Christ to be in agreement with the Bible, I feel weary right now. And quite honestly, I do. This has been the craziest week of my life. Uh, and, and, and just when I thought 2020 would, get, would go down on record as the weirdest year, 2021 comes along. I thought, no way can you top 2020. And here we are. Add a little spice of Hurricane Ida to that. Um, so if you're a Christian, this is, this is a reality. The Bible's trying to engage us. That life can feel weary and faint-hearted. That moment where we lack courage and motivation and initiative to live life. That we just, we just feel drained. I just feel like I want to faint. That can be your experience. And then we're going to get a behind-the-scenes lesson today. But in that behind-the-scenes revelation, the Bible doesn't take away the fact that even what God is doing can feel painful and not pleasant. And we're having to be explained that there is some pleasure in this, but it's not going to come the way you think it's going to come. It's going to be different. And that's what this is unpacking for us. But in the larger context, and we won't get to this today, it's just too big a chunk to take off. If you keep reading in Hebrews, you're going to get introduced to another behind-the-scenes dimension that is later in this chapter. So, so we've got a, what I'm going to call an individual behind the scenes because this discipline element seems to be directed towards individuals that God is dealing with sons and daughters. He is engaging our lives. But then he's going to give a bigger context where God shows up and does some things in difficult times behind the scenes later in the chapter. Verse 26 of Hebrews 12 says, At that time, his voice shook the earth. And now he has promised, yet once more I will shake 
not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. All right, so I'm just going to introduce you to that concept, right? Because you and I, when we get into these weary, faint-hearted moments, we're asking the question, why, God, why is this going on? Why is this my story? What, what did I do? What, what's happening? How did I get into this bad situation? And, and, and I know there's a little temptation for all of us. When things get hard, we're trying to figure out what we've done to create that. And, and that's kind of not where this passage is going to go. It's going to go behind the scenes and tell us about a God who does things individually in our lives. And then he adds another context. God can start shaking things on a grand scale. He can shake things beyond you into the nation that you live in, into the whole world, into the time frame of when the kingdom of God is coming. And God just picks up the whole world and begins to do this to it. And you're going to feel that as an individual. But that makes you aware of something, right? And this is very, very important. I won't take too long on this point. Your life has these two categories that are extremely important to understand, right? Our lives are made up of ourselves and others. Two categories, ourselves and others. And so when you go to figure out why is life the way it is? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? Well, there's things about ourselves and there's things about others going on in our lives. And God is managing both. God is managing nations in which we live. God is managing his people in which we're just one individual. And so there's an agenda of God that God can begin to shake things. And and you you see, every individual has got a story. Jeremiah is a prophet with an individual story. You hear a piece of his story in the Bible. He tells you it. But Jeremiah is a prophet set in a particular time zone in which God is doing something and God begins to shake the nation. And guess who gets to experience that shaking? Jeremiah does. It was a hard time frame in which to be a prophet in the kingdom of God. They weren't celebrated and there was hostility and and the people weren't interested. And Jeremiah can't do this and you and I can't do this. Jeremiah can't stare at his individual life and have all the information he needs. He can't stare out at, man, my own life has become so hard. My ministry is so unrewarding. Nobody's listening to me. I'm so unfruitful. And he's just staring at himself. Maybe I don't pray enough. Maybe I'm not reading my Bible enough. Maybe maybe I'm not bold enough. Maybe I don't have faith enough. Maybe some of those things are true. But the one thing that's absolutely true is you're not the only thing that God's doing right now. God is shaking a nation right now so that the things that remain are going to be the things that God wants to remain. And he's shaking that nation right now. And Jeremiah, whether you were doing everything absolutely perfectly in your life, you know what you'd still be experiencing right now? The shaking of a nation. So that's where you and I need to be careful in how we interpret the biblical storylines and the events that of what God is doing. And Hebrews 12 breaks out these two things. And I and just find it interesting. I just want to let the Bible be our counselor today. That in this moment where life is so hard for these guys. And there's a temptation to quit. Throw away their hope. Not keep going in God. There's all kinds of warnings throughout Hebrews. Bringing us to this moment. The counsel from Hebrews says. Hey I don't know if you're aware of this. But, but behind the scenes. 
This is what God's doing. And that's the counsel we get here, right? So we're going to get a shaking counsel. We won't get to that today, but there's a discipline counsel. I just need to make you aware that behind the scenes, there's this concept called discipline and God may be doing that in your midst right now. And you may be experiencing it. And can I just tell you what it feels like? And that's the wise counsel we're going to get. So let me go back to verse three there in Hebrews 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Right? This, is, this is you and I learning something from the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God who did it all perfect... Didn't drop the ball at all. He is on God's mission. He is God's man. God is performing everything that has to do with his life all around him. And he's being described here as having to endure. Have you considered Jesus had to endure such hostility against himself? Because he was doing it wrong. Because he was too slow. Because he was selfish. Because he, he had a bent for himself and not toward us. No. The purpose of God unfolding in the Son of God's life involved enduring even in his story. And it involved a setting that was characterized as a struggle against sin. That's the same setting you and I live in. That struggle against sin, it, it could be resisting sin. It could be resisting the temptations that sin bring. It, it could be recovering from sin. I mean, you know, sin can deal some severe blows in your life. And that could come through yourself. It could come through others. And into your life has come just a gut punch that you are gasping for air. And you are resisting the work of sin in these categories in our lives. But that's being modeled for us by Jesus Jesus does everything right, and he doesn't get to escape that hostility that's come to him. We live, and I hate to say it this way, but it's the truth. Until we go to heaven, we will always live in this hostile environment. It's not the last storm we're going to face. It's not the last personal storm we're going to face. And listen, when you've had your gut punched out of you, you, you'd like to hear this will never happen again. You will never have to go through this again. But that's not going to be our storyline until we get to heaven. We live in a hostile environment. We will face a struggle against sin in this world. And then the writer begins to explain to us. Can I explain a concept to you that's going on while you're going through these experiences? And that's verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So there's an instruction moment here. Into our suffering comes the Bible instructing us, right? Do not regard lightly, right? Don't do that. The discipline of the Lord. God shows up in our lives and, and he's messing with our world under this heading called discipline. And I really want us to stare at that today. So... Do not regard that lightly. So that's an instruction. So there, there needs to be an awareness that I might need to be told, Keith, don't treat that lightly. Don't disrespect it. Don't set it aside. 
Don't be ignorant of it, right? So this is what the Bible's trying to instruct us. And nor be weary when reproved. God is at work. Don't let this become something that's shutting you down. And, and I know the temptation to do that. And then there's an explanation here, right? So we get instruction and we get an explanation. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That's an insight from the Bible. Did you know God was doing that? Did you know God could show up and would show up and plans to show up in our lives in a way that's disciplinary? That he's going to engage our lives with something called discipline. He does that for every son that he loves. So maybe we didn't know that. Maybe we overlooked that. Maybe we stared out at life and life is hard. We're trying to figure out. We're shopping for the reasons because that idiot that I'm married to or that person who did this, that person from my past. Uh, and, you know, and once you get a little counsel that tells you to shop in the problems of your people, I mean, the shopping list gets really long. I mean, weren't your parents duds? I mean, come on. Weren't they duds in some kind of category? I mean, they just didn't show up right. They didn't, they didn't do this right. They lack this and they, they weren't careful about that. They were self-absorbed in this category. We've got, our whole lives are full of others that bring some sense of dysfunction to our world. Nobody here gets to escape that. And then we bring our own dysfunction to our lives. But there's this other thing going on here, this thing called discipline, verse seven. It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. But what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If, if you're left without discipline, in which all, all have participated. Anybody here think that they have not been disciplined by God? Anybody here thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good in my walk with God, Keith. I, I, I take God serious. I read my Bible. I pray, witness. Can I just tell you, nothing of that has anything to do with discipline. All right, let's just explore. Well, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Do you, do you hear the sales job going on here? <laughs> I, gotta be, right? I hear this verse saying, hey, there's this thing called discipline, and since it's painful and not pleasant, can I, just, can I sell you on the fact that it really is a good thing? And that's what he's doing right here. He's creating the value for discipline in these passages. Verse 10, for they disciplined us, right? Our earthly parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. I wish I had more time just for that phrase. Because the real question for me and my own soul when I encounter the pain of discipline is how badly do I want to share in his holiness? That's my real question, right? Because there's lots of moments when I'm like, not that badly, God. I'd rather be spared of the pain. And that's, I'm being honest. I think that's what I sound like. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. How valuable is that? The peaceful fruit of righteousness is on the other end, the other side of this thing that God has created called discipline. And it's not immediate. It's going to take us a little time to get there to those who have been trained by it. So <clears throat> there's something going on when God interacts with us in a disciplinary way that that's going to take us to a new place. That's what discipline is going to be about. 
It's not about looking back and you getting what you deserve. It's about God looking forward and doing something to take us into something deeper, something more real, something more long-lasting, right? So that's what God is doing when he disciplines us. Um, You know, whether you are one of us who caught COVID by accident, I kind of used part of this illustration a few weeks ago, whether you caught COVID by accident and you've had your body trained, if you will, by COVID, right? That's what COVID did to your body. It trained it. Or you've been vaccinated and the vaccination was a means to train your body. It It was almost like an injection of a disciplinary action to get your body to go to another level. So your built-in immunity left to itself isn't strong enough. It's not going to be able to handle what's coming next. But what if we could train your immunity to go to another level? What if we could take the immune system and jack it up a bit to where it, it, it brings up shields and strength and vitality and ability to face hostility and to resist sin? What if that's what a vaccine or you having COVID does for your body, right? So regardless of where you are, I don't really care where you are in your opinion about vaccines. Uh, Some people have taken a vaccine with that intention. In other words, you stood in line to be disciplined in your body. That's what you did. You got in a long line and you said, you know what? I, I need my immune system to go to another level. It can't stay where it is. It needs to go to another level. And I'm going to stand in line here and I'm, I'm going to get something that, you know, I'm not a big shot person. I don't know who the person is. I'm going to say this publicly. Hate, hate all you guys at home. Um, whoever the person is who told news agencies to, to show as many shots as possible, people getting jammed into their arm. It's like from the moment the newscast begins, it's like 38 shots. I want to throw up. It's like some of us don't like shots. Can you stop showing that, please? Uh, But in that moment, that seems painful and not pleasant, does it not? At least it does to me. That's painful, not pleasant, but it's going to yield something else. And we get that. So much so that we get how the immune system works and we have stood up a means of dealing with the situation. Well, God has stood up a means of disciplining our faith and our walk so that we might share in his holiness so that the peaceful fruit of righteousness might be developed in our lives. But but I I need to put up some boundaries for this, this discipline element because it's poorly understood and, and the context of Hebrews is tremendous to help us. Well, let me give you two warnings before we venture into the understanding of discipline. Warning number one, you're about to enter a bad theology zone. Warning. If something hard, difficult, or destructive touches your life, it must be related to some sin or shortcoming or failure that you are responsible for. That's warning number one. That could be the way in which you theologically stare at life. Okay, I'm not removing the fact that our, our life and our choices have real consequences. But when you hear a discussion of discipline, that's not where this is going. The Bible already recognizes, remember, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you think you brought any of this stuff on, well, Adam and Eve brought it on first. And then all of us brought it on after that. So there's a lot of stuff we brought on, but that's not what's being discussed here. So that's warning number one. Warning number two, your personality bent is not part of biblical interpretation tools. There are introspective, you know, Eeyore types, kind of like the little donkey on Winnie the Pooh. 
who live daily managing the negative side of the universe. When you open your eyes, the first thing you see is what's wrong. That's just who you are. The glass can't even make it to half empty, right? It's just one bad situation after another, and it's critique and criticize and critique and criticize, and, and that's what you manage every day of your life. And then there's the positive energy people who wake up with a different set of eyes, who spend very little time contemplating all they're failing at. They just see the next thing, the next good thing. You know, they, their tune is the sun will come out tomorrow. And then you follow that up if you're the other person with followed by rain clouds that will drown us. Um, that's not, that, that verse isn't in the song, but all right. Can I tell you, neither one of those are biblical interpretation tools. Right, so the person who only sees the judgment of God and God is against everything and he's against you because you, you have your hair out of place somehow and I know that's not in the Bible and, and, and then you see everything. That's not a biblical interpretation tool. That's your personality being very much at work. And the person who just thinks everything is roses and everything is fine and everything's gonna be okay, that's not a biblical interpretation tool either. That's you bringing your personality to the Bible that you're reading. So know that about yourself so that you can see the other side of what the Bible says, right? So those are my warnings. All right, here's my concept. Discipline is about moving God's people into greater experiencing of his holiness and the peaceful fruit of righteousness that God intends for us to experience in this age for our good. Now notice how the Bible speaks about this issue of discipline. This is an every son application point. Every son. God disciplines every son. He does that to every Christian. The ones who got their A game on and the ones who got their F game on. He does it to every Christian. It's not about whether you are outperforming your expectations or you are doing better than the average Christian. It's got nothing to do with that. God disciplines Every son, there's nobody in this room who's escaping this process. God's got a goal that he's going to bring into our lives behind the scenes. Now, earthly fathers are brought up in this passage. Earthly fathers bring discipline into our lives. You know, and a lot of times discipline from an earthly father does get around, hey, well, you just did this. You just failed at that. You messed this thing up. And earthly fathers step into that moment. And I think God, could, God can be bringing discipline into our lives on a bright, sunshiny day and on a cloudy day. You're doing great, you're doing terrible. And God can initiate discipline. So you can't read discipline out of the, the moment in which it necessarily comes. Because, you know, one of the most severe disciplinarians I could, I could think of is, is, you know, a coach for an Olympic athlete. Right, so Michael Phelps coach gets him in the pool and and describes what your training regimen is going to be like for that day and eight hours later this guy is beat up by that regimen because of what because of his childhood because of the thing that he said to somebody last week because of his bad attitude about this or that why is that coach doing that to him because he wants him to win a gold medal in the olympics because there's something forward-looking about what is going on between that coach and that athlete to get that guy to another level. And it's severe, and it's difficult, and it's painful, and it doesn't feel pleasant. But something very, very important is happening in 
the book of Hebrews. By the time we get to Hebrews 12, we, we've traveled through Hebrews 9 and 10. And I think I put this in your outline. Hebrews 9 and 10 is the most extensive dealing with the punitive actions of God against sin. And it places a label on them, a once and for all label on those actions. And all those actions, all those actions are located in Christ and not in us. Punitive actions are what the atonement is about. It is God dealing with sin in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not being dealt with in you. You and I don't have an ounce of game to offer God in the atonement category. God cannot take punitive measures and put them on us because it requires us to shed our blood and die. So whatever you're encountering, when something comes into your life and it's God's actions toward you in a moment that feels negative and feels like there's hostility and, and God is at work in a way that feels painful, it is not punitive. It cannot be punitive because the punishment of sin was placed on Christ and Christ alone, right? So I'm going to race through this. You go back and meditate on this when you get a minute, right? Hebrews, if you back up to Hebrews chapter 10, here's the narrative that precedes us getting to discipline. We need to know this so we don't confuse what God is doing in this discipline moment. Hebrews 10 verse 1. For since the law, right, we're going to talk about the Old Testament law, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near otherwise would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers once having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins but in these sacrifices right these old testament sacrificing of animals there is a reminder of sins every year for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins Right? So there is a lesson being learned in the Old Testament that teaches us sin's going to have to be dealt with in a particular way. The punitive actions of God against sin have to be dealt with in a particular way. Now, let's skip down to verse 11 in chapter 10. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. For all time, perfected, job done, completed. If God is showing up in your life in painful ways, it is not for this reason. Because that was once and for all, and his son took it all. We don't share that with the son of God. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And that word remember has to do with remembering in order to call for payment. So whatever you did last week, last year, the most horrible thing that you can think of that you've done, that you keep bringing that up as though it disqualifies you from the goodness and the activity of God. And it's inviting into your life all the problems that you've had. Can you understand? 
God is not remembering that in order to call forth a payment. So if pain is going off in your life, that is not the right interpretation for your pain. If you are in pain right now because life has gone sideways and it's hard, which a lot of us are experiencing that, and I hear from a lot of folks who are going through that, it is not because God is remembering your sins and calling forth a payment. Oh, I know Jesus shed his blood, but you're going to suffer a little bit too. That's bad Catholic theology, by the way. That's not biblical theology. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So God has made a means for us to draw near to him and to not have our our actions be a punitive separation from him, right? The rest of this chapter establishes something big. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, right? We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened. How do we get access by cooperating with discipline? Is that how you get access to the presence of God? When God starts the discipline process and you and I say, yeah, God, bring it on, bring it on, hit me harder, bring it, God, all over this thing. And, oh, Keith, come nearer, come nearer to me. Do you, do you think the discipline brings you nearer to God? It's what Jesus did that brings us nearer to God. Be careful. And, and these things feel similar, right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you think punishment and discipline are the same thing? Well, don't show your hands, but think about that for a second. Do you think punishment and discipline are the same thing? Because you grew up and they were kind of used interchangeably, right? You crash your dad's car and you don't even have a driver's license yet. Uh, you got punished for that, didn't you? And then sometimes you got disciplined for stuff like that too. And so you took these two ideas and you put them together and you said, well, they're kind of the same thing. Punishment and discipline, punishment and discipline. Uh, You need to see them carefully through the lens of scripture. They're not the same thing. He's made a way by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near right now. No matter where you are in the pain and discipline process, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Right? So there's a confidence that's given to us that we get to come near to God and, and experience him. So discipline, I put this in your outline, discipline is not bound up in disappointment or in God taking action based on our past failure. Discipline seems to be forward-looking seems to be God preparing us for something of a greater depth of experiencing of him and his work in our lives. So I'm going to read this. I wrote this in your outline. Listen carefully. Stop treating disciplinary moments like punitive moments. Stop doing that to yourself. Stop doing that to others in the church. You create a miserable place when you do that. You create a community that nobody wants to be a part of. Because the pain's already there. And now you've piled some form of critique on top of the pain. So what is it like to go through pain and to come be a part of a church where now you're being critiqued for the pain you're going through? Who wants to be a part of that church? Right? Read our Bibles a little bit more carefully and stop doing this to people. Notice this passage summons us to endure. That's what you're being told to do. Not to repent. Do you hear that in this passage? There's no mention of repentance here. 
There's a, there's a mention of, hey, you got a ways to go in this, man. Keep going, keep going. There's no repentance here. You think the Bible lacks an ability to call us to repentance? It does it all over the place. It does not do it here. The focus is on the benefit of the process, not in addressing some momentary act of disobedience or even a pattern of disobedience. That's not the focus of this passage. Is it the focus elsewhere? Well, we hung out with the Corinthians. They were told to repent over a lot of stuff, weren't they? There was no enduring of some of the sinful activity that was going on in their church. There was a stop it. The Bible comes along and says, stop that. But here the Bible says, endure, keep going. These circumstances are not going to change and they're not in your power to change them. I much prefer to have the power over my circumstances sometimes, but that's not what God's doing here. So enduring is what you do when you're on the move to a greater place of experiencing holiness, the peaceful fruit of righteousness and God's good in our lives. That's what's in this passage. All right, one last thought. Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, in the right here, in the right now, Tuesday, last Thursday, all discipline, <laughs> doesn't even say some discipline, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'm grateful for the Bible's acknowledgement of, of deep principles and truths and doctrines and the reality of human beings living in a fallen world. It's not ignoring that. We are not in heaven. If you're here today as a, as a Christian and you feel the the painfulness and the lack of pleasantness of something about life. Uh, it's not like you've lost your salvation or you don't love God. The Bible comes right out and says it. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's, that's not to be denied. That's not to be ignored. That's not to be explained away. It is a reality. So if you're here this morning, and I imagine there's many of us that are here this morning. And we're experiencing something about life that just feels painful and not pleasant. And some of that's suddenly come up because of events. Some of it's come up because of the last year and a half with COVID and situations that have arisen there. Some of that is what you have been dealing with as every day you get up and you battle with debilitating physical issues in your life. Diagnosis and difficulties or a proneness to a particular struggle in an area of your life and, and you feel the painfulness of that. You, you, you don't have to ignore that. And you don't have to act like you're a Christian who never experiences pain because you're a real Christian. Um, I think this is about real Christians. So if this doesn't sound like what you ever sound like, I don't know if you are a real Christian. Because then the Bible just got finished telling us God disciplines his son, every son. If you don't get disciplined by God, you're not a legitimate son. And all discipline seems painful. I don't, I don't have any pain in my life. I'm just trusting Jesus, man. I'm just trusting Jesus. Uh, you might sound good on the outside, but you don't fit this description. Because you're going to be crying uncle at some point. And you're going to have that moment when you feel like you just want to tell God, I've had enough. God, I can't do this another day. 
God, I love you, but I don't know what is your problem. Why are you letting this happen to me? Why is this going on? That's that word endurance, right? If you don't ever sound that way, you haven't reached endurance yet. You're, you're still kind of like in the foothills of endurance. When you reach endurance, you're, you're wrestling with the question of God, why and how long? The psalmist, right? Remember the psalmist? How long, oh Lord, will you abandon me? Forever? That's real life. And the Bible explains it to us. And then you get this as a help. But later, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Later. Later today, God. This afternoon after the saints came, I'm good. I could do later. But when you read the rest of Hebrews, later is way over there. And it's not soon enough for me. I can tell you right now, later in the Bible is not soon enough for me. I'm an American. Right? Later means before the sun goes down. But yet in God, there's a later. That's just a different definition for later. Right? So we have a concept and we have a time element here. So as you and I walk in the pain of the experience of a God who's working something to to cause us to share in his holiness at a greater level, to experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives, then it's going to get you there later. And this is where faith then has to engage that moment. All right, here's a twin passage. I'm going to have us pray. The worship team can come back up here. Real similar I want you to listen to the language here just so you can catch what God's doing behind the scenes. Romans chapter 5 has this same forward-looking feel to it as it explains this process. Romans 5 verse 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Right? That's Hebrews chapter 10. We have nearness. We have been granted access to God. We come boldly before the throne of God's grace, even while we're painfully experiencing discipline. These things simultaneously exist. In Hebrews 8, they do the same in Romans 5. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a twin passage to the Hebrews setup. It is an announcement that you have access to God. You have nearness to God. That got accomplished by the atonement. Distinct from that is another work that involves something under the umbrella of discipline that feels like suffering for a reason. Difficulty in our lives for a reason. Behind the scenes, God's accomplishing something big that he values for us, sharing in his life of holiness and experiencing the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is God. I, I love this. You know, those, those moments where we, we have that why question. God, why? And I, I'd say most of the time we don't get an answer. But I can't get away from the fact that there's an answer in this passage. Why? God, why? Well, because I want you to share in my holiness. 
I want you to share in my life. And listen, I get all of us could turn back and say, well, God, is this the only way to get there? I don't know if it's the only way, but it is the revealed way. God is at work in these places. And I need faith to believe in that process. I need faith because right now the moment just feels painful and not pleasant. And listen, this is showing up in your marriage. This is showing up in the broken relationships in your life. This is showing up in the other categories of people that are with us. God works behind the scenes of the difficulty of this fallen world. And he's got something good in mind. And it is under this category of discipline. But can everybody, everybody, please, if you don't remember anything else I say, can you make punishment and discipline two different words? So you'll stop wasting all your time trying to figure out, what is God punishing me for now? What did I do now? Uh, That's just not what the Bible teaches, right? I think we see that today. This is God bringing us into something more. And God does that to everybody who belongs to him. He's got more for us than where we are. So let's do this this morning. I I want this word just to find you where you are. Um, Can I just pray for us in a few categories? Let's do this. You can can remain seated. Just, Just maybe bow your heart and your head and even before I start to, to pray over us, can you just have an honest conversation with God? You and God right now. All right, so everybody stop looking at me. You don't have to close your eyes for privacy for others. I just want you to stop looking at me. And I want you to stare into the face of God. I want you to tell him where you are in this category. I want you to talk to him honestly about things that that came up while we were here this morning and God was letting you see some things and letting you feel some things, letting you digest some things. The Bible introduced us to some vocabulary. The word weary was given. It's okay for you to tell God this morning, God, I'm weary. tired. This has been long and hard. It's okay for you to be like the psalmist who cried out to God, how long, Lord, how long will you abandon me? Psalmist struggled with feeling like God wasn't near That's where you are. Be able to tell God, God, I just feel like I don't sense you're near to me right now. I don't sense you've been near to me for a while. And part of me knows that just can't be true. But it is how it feels right now. Maybe your word is faint hearted. God, I just, I want to faint. I just... I just want to spiritually fall down right here where I am. I just don't feel like I have the courage or the energy or the motivation to take the next steps. You can agree with God. God, this is painful. This is painful and it's not pleasant. God, I, I, 
I'm lost in the pain. I'm lost in in feeling like this isn't going anywhere good. God, I pray for those who are here this morning. These realities, as gripping and as powerful as they are, are even accentuated for some because they are lonely and they are feeling isolated. Lord, sometimes other people don't want to hang out with people who are going through their pain. It's just not a, it's not a fun setting sometimes. It can be a downer. People run out of energy. They run out of things to say. So Lord, for some here this morning, they just feel alone. But God, I thank you that before you introduced something about the pain of discipline, you told us that you had broken down the dividing wall and you had brought us near to you and that we could come near to you, Lord. We could experience your nearness, Lord. God, there's some people in this room this morning. There's some people watching this morning. Lord, they need to experience your nearness. Lord, you sent your son to tear down the wall that sin created. And he did an effective job. There's no remnant of that wall. Lord, we don't have to tear down part of it or climb it ourselves. Lord, you have annihilated it. to give us access to your nearness and to your presence. Lord, there are some here this morning, there are some watching, Lord, they they need to be able to say out of their own experience, the nearness of God is my good. God, please be near to us. God, for those who feel abandoned by you, Lord, sometimes life just feels like the God that I love feels like he's nowhere to be found. Jesus, you cried out from the cross in our anguish of what this broken world feels like. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, we know you have compassion on our our feelings of distance. And Lord, this morning, our our hope is tucked in these words that behind the scenes, you are working good for our lives. Lord, you are up to things that have value. God, when we started our journey with you, nothing mattered more to us than sharing in the holiness and the life that you give to us. Nothing meant more to us. God, would you once again awaken our souls to delighting in that possibility that more and more in our lives, Lord, you're taking us to somewhere good. There's an outcome, Lord. There's another side to this, Lord. There's a heavenly one and there's an earthly one as well that we get to taste and see of your goodness and your life, that we experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, that's the offer of help, that we believe these things about you. Lord, help us to believe this morning that what we find in you, God, is a sure, steadfast shelter and a hope, Lord, a hope that you will bring us through. Father, may that be true 
in our hearts that we hear something explained to us that helps us in this moment of pain to make it to the place that's next that you have for us, Lord. We entrust ourselves yet again to you. Just tell God that. I know that's hard. Can you just tell God that? God, this morning, I just entrust myself afresh to you. God, I know too much about you to know that you'll fail me. I entrust myself yet again to you and your faithfulness, Lord. Let's stand up together and close with song. Let's sing together. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often grown, He must hold me. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Those He saves, those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in His hold. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast.
Father, give us the faith, the perseverance, the endurance to trust you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week, church. Those who joined us through live stream as well, hope to see you guys soon. You'll have a great day today.